to the Faith Church Estevan podcast, the podcast where we post our previous sermons from previous weeks. And our prayer is that it would grow your relationship with Jesus. Listen wherever you are and enjoy this next episode. All right, so we are finishing up our series today through Philippians, which is super duper. So, one of the main themes that has been permeating throughout this letter since we started, it always goes back to this, and it's joy, rejoicing. So this morning, what I'd like to do is to hear some times that you've had in your life where you've had times of joy. Marriage. Marriage. Good. Somebody, somebody who's married better say that, because I was expecting it from up here. It's, it's new, yeah, because you guys haven't had your real fights yet. Yeah, I know. It was joyful. I had joy. Yeah, no. We are in, hey, whoa. That backfired on me real quick. I wasn't expecting that at all. That's right. The firstborn's always the best. That was my mom. That birth. Huh? Grandchildren. You see a pattern yet? I won't make you do this all day because I'm going to set a record today. So. so there's a pattern. Do you know what it is? People, but it was what? What made the joy? Good times, right? Positive moments. Positive times. And scripture, but that's kind of the point today. The scripture doesn't always give us that, but there's times of joy in Scripture, and we have many examples of it, but it's not always in positive times. And so, like, we have Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18. Though the fig tree does not bud, there's no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, and though there's no sheep in the pen, and there's no cattle in the stalls, not a good situation to be in, by the way. This is what he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I asked a farmer what he had for joy in a drought. I don't think he'd say that, because I wouldn't. Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and say evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Acts 8, Saul approved of Stephen's killing. And so on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all of them, ex- except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then you had godly men who buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. And as Paul began to destroy the church, he went from house to house. He dragged off men and women to put them in prison so they could end up dying. But then those who, here's what you get, those who had been scattered preached the word, the good news, the gospel, wherever they went. They had joy in doing it during that time period. Paul says in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, present or future or any powers, neither height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's got joy. And so as we finish up Philippians today, Paul gives us even more of that. 
he starts, rejoice in the Lord always. He liked it so much, he said it again. He says, rejoice. Let your gentleness be um, evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God, the God of peace, will be with you. So what Paul's getting at today is gospel rejoicing. Gospel rejoicing, but we kind of just did a little thing where we only have rejoicing during good times, usually. But Scripture's saying, no, there's joy in everything, but there's a common denominator. And so when Paul writes this, he's using imperative language. He's using commands. He's saying rejoice. It wasn't a suggestion. He didn't say rejoice in the Lord sometimes. He said always. He didn't say rejoice when you feel like it. He says, no, you're going to do it. Do it. He has imperative language because he's urging us to see past the present and into the future, urging us to get a life that's living in harmony with what God wants. God wants you to be joyful. He just doesn't promise everything to be easy and perfect. And so the strength and clarity of this in Paul's writing reminds us that we often, and it reminds me, we often set our minds on everything else outside of what the Creator wants for us. But Paul doesn't just leave us with commands. He always follows up commands. I mean, we've had imperatives this whole time in this letter. But he always follows it up with promises from God. And they're promises from God of blessing on your behalf. And so that should give us cause for joy because it's gifts upon gifts given by God to us, even in the midst of suffering. Because Paul wrote verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, they said again, rejoice. He wrote it from prison during suffering to Christians who were also suffering at the hands of the Roman opposition. And so what he's saying here is it's not a temporal, joy is not temporal, it's not something that's fleeting. Happiness is. I'm not always happy. Apparently they're not always happy either. (laughs) See, what happens is I can tie in everything you do from now until the end. We're not always happy, but joy is not fleeting. Joy is not temporal. It's not dependent upon circumstances. It's not predicated on whether or not you woke up on the right side of the bed. What it is predicated on is the fact, and this is why if you go even back to Habakkuk, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It's not saying rejoice in the fact that your situation's good. It says rejoice in the Lord. It's pointed and predicated on that fact. Because we can go back up. Though all this stuff fails, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And so rejoicing ends up being this joy-filled time that marks us distinct from other things. Marks us distinct from other people and in a good way. In the individual life, in the corporate life. And he says rejoice in the Lord at all times. Always. Not when it's convenient for you. Paul and Silas 
was a partner of Paul's. They rejoiced in the Lord while being imprisoned a decade before he wrote this one in Acts 16. I encourage you to read it today. I'll summarize it. They were in prison, they were shackled to a wall, and it was damp, and they were getting cold, and it was probably really gross. And what did they do? They prayed and they sang. They sang joyful hymns. They sang. And what happened out of their singing? There was joy in a mess and chaos that caused somebody to say, well, they're set apart. They're distinct. They were marked differently. And guess what happened? The jailer met Jesus. The prisoners, we don't know because it doesn't say, but I bet you they met Jesus because there was joy in the midst of suffering. Because it was in the Lord, not in their circumstance. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. See, he puts that there for a reason. Let your gentleness, not weakness. I think we can always try to tie gentleness in with weakness, but that's whatever. I'll boast in my weakness. That's fine. But he's saying, have gentle forbearance. Have a steadfastness with patience in the middle of your opposition trying to destroy you, and that would have been the Roman Empire. The Lord is near. And right now, their present suffering is at the hands who proclaim Caesar as Lord. Well, sometimes our suffering can be at the hands of whoever we call Lord, because some people call, I'm not going to say their names, we're not politicizing anything today, but you know, you got Biden and you got Trudeau. They're not Lord. They're not Caesar. They will be overtaken at some point in time. And I just realized they probably are listening. If I'm not here next week, I'm so sorry. But I will rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. So rejoice in the Lord, not in the opposition who wants to tear that down. They were reminded, yes, just because Caesar is Lord to those people who are taking your life, have gentleness towards them. Show them that you're distinct with your joy. Because the Lord, the true Lord, is near. Paul's reminding them of their future vindication that's close at hand. At the same time, he uses the language of the Psalms. And he's encouraging them to pray in the midst of their distress because the Lord is near. That's why you can pray, because he's here and near in a very real way to those who will call on him now. And so the Lord is near to you today to give you patience when you need it. The Lord is near today to give you wisdom when you need it. The Lord is near today to give you help when you need it. It may not be the way you thought, but he's there. The Lord is near in coming to you again and to finish what he's started. And so you can pray. Verse 6. By prayer and petition, but he adds a caveat with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That with thanksgiving is a key piece to take away out of this verse because it's with thanksgiving, with thankful hearts, with gratitude, reminds us that the thanksgiving is an explicit acknowledgement of our humanness and dependence upon somebody greater. 
It's a recognition that everything actually does come to me as a gift. My life is a gift. My children are a gift. Everything I have is a gift from God. It's for the sole purpose of having joy in the Lord always and to glorify his name in everything I do. Because when we have a loss of gratitude towards God, and that does happen, it opens the door to all sorts of different idolatry things, but it makes thankfulness become only in this, I would tie in with joy, thankfulness and joy, I'd put them together, because here's what happens. Loss of gratitude towards God makes thankfulness and joy only present in your life when it's going right, when you have comfort, and when you have prosperity. And people will push that. But that just results in a world that's plagued with moral and relational chaos. We see it today. Everywhere we go, it's chaotic. So when we have a loss of gratitude towards God Almighty, to the Lord who's near, joy will never be when times are barren or chaotic. It'll only be when life is good and right. And Paul follows up with thankfulness, with joy, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, the peace I give to you, that's a gift. I do not give to you as the world does, but don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Like further on in verse 6 at the beginning, he says, don't be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. You have joy. You can have a peace of God. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. But I think you could all agree with me that peace doesn't make sense. Peace of God doesn't make any sense. I don't always feel it. I don't. It doesn't make sense. And that's why I love reading this passage because as the NIV translates it this way, transcends all understanding. That means... The peace of God is beyond, it's higher than, and it's out of reach of my understanding. I don't like that. Makes me angry sometimes. But it's comforting to know that it's not my fault because it's something that's beyond my own comprehension. I cannot understand it. But I will someday. But I can be calm in the midst of a complete chaotic situation because I know I have a peace that transcends everyone's understanding, and it's the what's guarding my heart and my mind. Jesus guards your hearts by filling you with a peace that the world can't understand and the world cannot give you. It's different, because you're not going to have true peace in positive thinking, because that's just a mask. Positive thinking is just a, a mask. Just say it's going to be great. You're not meaning it. You're just putting a mask over the fact that you're not going to want to deal with it. I've done it. It's going to be fine. It's not. But I'm going to tell you that because I want the peace that I can't get from the world. It's not found in positive thinking. It's not found in the absence of absent, absence, the absence of conflict. Yeah, that was right. Oof. I didn't type it right, that's for sure. It's not going to be found there. The peace of God is not going to be if there's no conflict. I've never, I'm a history nerd, there's never been a time where there's no conflict. Not in the world and not in our own lives. 
And you're not going to have this peace, true peace, in good feelings. Feelings are fleeting, and they change every two seconds. Where true peace comes from is knowing that God is in control. That's why Paul said it earlier. God's the one who's in control, and your citizenship isn't here. So grip to that, because it's in heaven. It's been given to you. Your citizenship is sure, and it means your destiny is set. Your destiny today has been set, given as a gift. That means you have a victory today over sin, over death, over everything. And that's what's guarding your heart and your mind today, even when Satan whispers in the other ear, no, you should be angry, you should get mad, and you should hate. He's pushing hate. But he tries to whisper that, but Jesus screams over the top and says, it is finished. You've already lost. There's a victory for my people, and it's here, and that means it's finished. Jesus said it. On the cross as he died for you. And so out of that, you have gospel rejoicing. But I'm telling you, it's an, it's an action. Rejoicing is an action. You kind of have to respond. It's an active response. And actions only happen as there's a response to what? Thinking, thoughts. And so you can't have gospel rejoicing without gospel thinking. We are thinking beings. We've been created by God to have thoughts. Some people have more than others. I didn't gender anything. I just said some people have more thoughts than others. I said people. She's looking at me like, you're talking about women. No, I'm not. People think. We have been given a gift by God to think differently than animals do. I don't know what animals think because usually if I tell you to sit, they sit. Like If I tell you to sit, you don't. If I tell you to hit your ball into the lake, you don't. If I tell my dog to go fetch, into the lake she goes. They think. They, they have a response, but they're not thinking. It's a trained response. God has given us not a trained response, an act of, off of our own thinking. And that's one of the keys to verses 4 to 7, to the end of this letter. Because what we put into our minds is what comes out in our daily living, and that's just a fact. So he says in verse 8, whatever is true noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. He doesn't just say, do it. Think about such things. What you put into your mind determines what comes out in your words and your actions. I know this because when I do it the backwards, it's not pretty. You can ask my spouse or anyone else. We can do that. We can program our mind with thoughts that are not true or honorable, that are not right, that are not pure, that are not lovely, that are not admirable, excellent, or worthy of praise. So do you have problems today with impure thoughts or daydreams? Examine what you're putting into your mind. Think about it. What do you put through mind, into your mind through television, internet, books, conversations, movies, magazines, that devil social media, which I'm on all the time, it's fine, but it's bad. I could be in a very good mood and have joy taken really quick when I absorb my mind with an argument. What if we replaced all that? And I'm not saying like every moment of your day, but just what if we took 
10 minutes a day. 10 minutes. And input into our mind things that are wholesome. Like, what if we just spend 10 minutes and read something out of here? I mean, most of it's R-rated from the beginning to the middle. It is. It's an R-rated book. Very risque. But what if we took 10 minutes and read it? Poured into God's word and, pray, and then prayed. And then asking God to help focus your mind on what is good and pure so that you can have joy. Because the key here is nothing that we can bring in our life situation will be true. There'll be times we do some things that are, are nice, but it's not going to be noble, and everything I do outside of Jesus is not going to bring praise to God. So Paul is exhorting us back to thinking and absorbing our minds in all that is worthy, and that is God's word, God's message, his gospel, his spiritual food, which is right here, Focusing and thinking on these things will draw us back to that previous section that we just did, gospel rejoicing. It's consistency. The ultimate thing to constantly think about, to focus your mind on, is Jesus. He fits all the boxes. His love towards you is actually greater than anything else you could absorb with. So maybe you wake up and you think about Jesus, and then at lunch you take some time and you take two seconds to think about Jesus, and if you kept around like he loves me, imagine the more joy you could have. Because your thinking absorbing pushes out the bad and he pours in his good. Because gospel thinking will lead and turn into joy and a peace from God. You went back back to Philippians 1 again. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether the false motives or true motives, Paul didn't care. Christ was preached. He rejoiced in it, even though some were trying to make a lot of money off of it. Christ is preached, and because of this, he rejoices. And he will continue to rejoice because he knows that no matter what, God will provide in the spirit of Jesus, and what has happened to him, he's in prison, will turn out to his deliverance, which means he will make the end. And so he can persevere, but he can have gospel joy and rejoicing. The gospel's clear. Jesus died, and then he didn't die anymore. He rose to new life, and he gives that freely to you. A new life that can have the victory because he said it is finished. So that means not only is the gospel clear, it is finished. You don't have to wait for it to get finished. It is finished, and it's for you. So that means the gospel is now yours, and that should bring you joy. So think about those three things. Don't think about whether or not he's almost done. Don't think about what you're going to have for lunch right now. Think about this. The gospel is clear, the gospel is finished, and the gospel is yours. Think on that today. Fill your mind with his promises and his truths that he gives because it cannot get revoked from you. It's yours. Let your soul be filled with the joy of God because it's his love towards you and for you that gets poured in. We may not understand it all, and that's okay. It's okay not to get it. To not understand it all, it's okay. We may not fully ever understand it all, but we can rejoice in our hearts always. Maybe not on the outside, but on the inside in our hearts, we can rejoice always because Jesus is there. Because you are in the Lord and he is near. So let that drive your thinking today. 
let Jesus flow in you and through you in a way that you've never experienced. And he will bring you the joy and rejoicing that we long for. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening today. May you know you are loved, you belong, and have a great week. God bless.